Welcome to Future Ready, a series that takes you deep into the world of emerging technologies, brought to you by Westpac and hosted by IT News. I'm Brad Howarth. In this episode, we take a leap into the world of the very small and examine how the strange properties of electrons and photons are giving rise to a new generation of computers whose benefits could be disproportionately massive. Quantum computing has become a new battleground for research groups around the world as they race to build systems that might solve some of the biggest problems facing science and society today. We also look at how harnessing quantum properties could fundamentally change the way we communicate and process data, and we examine the challenge that quantum computers pose to the world's most trusted forms of encryption. Getting the most from quantum computers is going to require a whole new generation of scientists and researchers. So we're joined now by one of them, Joey Rowlands, a PhD student at the University of New South Wales and a 2018 Westpac scholar, who is helping to answer some of the questions that will lead to a quantum future. Joey, welcome to Future Ready. Thank you for having me. So first question, what got you interested in quantum computing in the first place? Sure. So quantum computing is without a doubt, I think, the sexiest field of science at the moment. So my background was initially within mechanical engineering, where we're solving really complex problems. And we actually got to the point where you can no longer solve these problems. And human beings being problem-solving creatures, uh, I figured what's best is to just follow the area in which we're building a new brain that can solve the world's hardest problems. So how is a quantum computer different to a current generation computer? Okay, so current generation computers use transistors which are solid devices that turn electricity on and off, like a switch. But being solid devices, they take up a lot of space. A quantum computer uses the properties of the smallest particles in nature, such as an electron, which is actually like a dipole magnet, which can point up or down, and that can represent a one or a zero. And what does that actually mean then? What is it about that particular capability that is so interesting to researchers? Being able to process information on the subatomic level is so interesting because it enables so much more space to be used in processing information. So you're essentially exponentially increasing the amount of information processing you can do at any one time. So what's been the challenges you faced along the way? Definitely resilience. I think at the quantum level, classical physics doesn't make sense. Everyday things that we get taught as students in high school no longer exist. So being able to battle through that personal struggle every day to try and understand this different world that has different rules is without a doubt the greatest struggle I find. Can you give me an example of that? The most famous example is Schrodinger's cat, which is both alive and dead at the same time. So essentially at the quantum realm, at the subatomic particle realm, you can have uh, these subatomic particles in different states at once. So figuratively dead or alive existing at the same time. Whereas when we get to our stage, at the big stage, uh, none of that makes sense. In classical computers, you talked about transistors as being in a state of being on or off. (laughs) Usually we translate that to zero or one. How do you translate that kind of idea into a world where it could be both zero and one at the same time? Sure, so when you have enough of these states that are either zero or one at the same time, you can create these algorithms that utilizes that property, but at the end of the day when you measure it, you either get a zero or one back. So you're still using zero and one as your basis, but you're utilizing the superposition to calculate more complex problems in parallel. 
So the idea then is we can actually deal with problems which are much bigger than we can deal with now? Exactly. So one example would be if you're trying to solve a way out of a maze. So a current computer would test one route and if that failed, then it would test another route and if that failed, so on, until it got the way out of the maze. A quantum computer could test all routes at once and tell you the way out of the maze. So what do you see as being the biggest benefits that will come from quantum computing? I see the biggest benefit that would come from quantum computing would be in areas such as molecular development. So being able to map this world that is so complex that we don't have an understanding about. And also things like artificial intelligence, you know, calculating climate, anything that's really complex, it has lots of different variables, will definitely be benefited from a quantum computer. So what challenges do we still need to overcome then before we can get one of these quantum computers up and running? The biggest challenge is joining our classical and quantum worlds. So getting the electrical components that we use in everyday life to measure the quantum world, which is on the nanometer scale, so small that we can't see it and we'll never be able to see it because light can't reflect off how small these things are. Being able to join these two worlds to be able to measure this is where we'll need to put the most time to improve. Having gone down the quantum path yourself, what advice would you give to anyone else that's thinking about building a career in quantum computing? Like I said earlier, there's no sexier area in science than quantum computing right now. It will be able to create thousands of jobs, be able to develop new technologies that can't even be thought of at the moment. It has uses from climate forecasting through to molecular development, drug analysis, uh, artificial intelligence. There's just so many areas in which it'll be used. It's the equivalent of comparing a modern supercomputer to an abacus. This is a difference in computational power and so behind all future technology will be quantum computing. Now it was exciting to see that earlier this year a quantum physicist was actually awarded the Australian of the Year award. Michelle Simmons from UNSW, I understand you work with Michelle. What's it been like having her receive that kind of recognition and what is it like working with someone of that caliber? Working with Michelle Simmons is absolutely phenomenal. What she's doing for physics in Australia right now cannot be celebrated enough. She's drawing attention to something which is so important. And if Australia moving forward is going to be a knowledge economy, which is what we're going to have to be, we can't rely on digging up our resources from the ground anymore. We have to really focus on improving this knowledge economy and this is what Michelle is doing day in and day out. She's building the infrastructure here in Sydney to make us a competitor with the giants like Google, IBM and Intel. Jerry Rollins, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. While even Einstein found quantum theory to be somewhat baffling, that hasn't stopped a growing number of scientists and researchers from exploring its potential. Prominent amongst them is Dr Jackie Romero, whose work at the University of Queensland is shining new light on the quantum realm and its potential to revolutionise computing and communications. And she joins us now. Dr. Jackie Romero, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here. Quantum computers are often described as being far more powerful than what we currently have. Why is that the case? There are many processes or many systems that are not solvable in the sense that I can write equations for many particles, for example, for many entangled particles. I can write equations, but it's not possible to solve them because they're just intractable. 
I saw something recently, which is, uh, it's called a quantum recommendation system. So if you, you imagine Netflix, right, you watch Netflix, and then after you've watched one show, it recommends other shows for you to watch. And that's actually, uh, that's actually a mathematical problem. How do you make your recommendation efficient based on the shows that you have watched and the number of, op- of options available? It scales pretty quickly as those two numbers increase. So how far away do you think we are from having a working quantum computer? So it depends what you mean by working. Um, so like right now, IBM has released uh, quantum uh, quantum computer in the cloud. They have a 20 qubit quantum computer. I think they have 50 qubits for available for researchers. So that's a quantum computer. Um, the only question is, is it good enough for us to perform the calculations that we want to do? So the, the challenge really is, first you have to make a good qubit. And I think we can do that well. But if we make many qubits, um, it's challenging to keep them all good and for them to not interact with the environment. So as we come to understand more about the quantum realm, what impact do you think this knowledge is going to have on society? I see it really as, you know, a double-edged sword, really. I mean, like, for example, the the interest was born out of, I would say, Shor's algorithm because you can break cryptographic systems with Shor's algorithm. So anybody who can do quantum computer, the quantum computer will really be powerful. So that has implications for us because that may mean that Someday we have to think about how are we going to protect our privacy in the face of a quantum computer. So it, it makes us able to do dif- uh, difficult calculations, but it can also be, you know, bad for us in that sense. You have to manage the risks and the potential. I think we have to start thinking about that as early as now, even though, you know, it could be decades away. But we really have to think about those kinds of implications. Dr. Jackie Ramiro, thank you very much for your time. So in a post-quantum world, how do we keep private or sensitive data away from prying eyes? One company that is fighting to keep data secure in that post-quantum world is Canberra-based startup Quintessence Labs. And we're joined now by its founder and CEO, Vikram Sharma. Vikram, welcome to Future Ready. Well, thank you very much, Brad. Very nice to be talking with you today. So what does the advent of quantum computing mean for data security? Well, quantum computing, as uh, you may be aware, has uh, a wide range of of, uh, applications across domains such as uh, advanced computations, which will enable us to address some of the most difficult problems in modeling chemical reactions, for example, or the effects of, of drugs, or indeed um, um, looking at the, the, the universe at large. It also will have applications in high-powered imaging so that we may be able to potentially detect a cancerous cell uh, or cancer when it's at the single cell level, and equally to sensing 
to be able to keep borders secure by detecting submerged uh, objects under the ocean or indeed mining to looking for oil and, um, and um, mineral deposits. However, one of the applications of, of uh, quantum computing would also be to breaking some of the encryption techniques which are in widespread use, uh, particularly in the commercial domain today. This would have uh, the impact of rendering what we refer to as a public key infrastructure um, at risk in a post-quantum world. So it is imperative that we start recognizing this, this threat and uh, considering a course of action which would prepare us well for the post-quantum world. So how would you characterize the scale of the problem that we face? I believe that if we look at it today, depending on who you speak with in, in the um, quantum computing field, the suggestion is that we will see quantum computers at a, at a useful scale available in the next five to ten years. That will be the point where some of the methods we use today, particularly as I mentioned in public key infrastructure, would be rendered uh, susceptible to being broken by these quantum computers. In uh, 1996, there was a gentleman called Peter Shaw who has already developed an algorithm that will compromise some of the key elements that underlie the very electronic exchanges that occur between, let's say, my handheld device or my laptop and an institution's computers to establish a secure communication channel. That um, uh, development is now only waiting on a, a quantum computer at the right scale to compromise us. So this suggests to me that we do have a, a, a window of perhaps five or seven years within which to plan out a very structured uh, and well-thought-out sequence of steps to prepare us for this post-quantum world. However, I would suggest that um, as it does take time to assess and evaluate cybersecurity alternatives, to gain comfort uh, with those technologies and implement them into our, our existing systems, and finally certify and test them that it is probably a problem that should be looked at uh, and, and thought about in the nearer term. So how does Quintessence Labs propose that we solve this problem? Yeah, there are two streams of uh, development that are occurring in, in looking at resolving this problem. One is to replace the mathematics-based encryption that we use today, or the mathematics-based methods to uh, exchange encryption keys with a harder mathematical problem and one that we believe will be resilient even in the advent of uh, a quantum computer. These are called quantum resistance algorithms, and certainly there is a significant body of work occurring worldwide to select and, and then implement such algorithms. However, the best guesses are that this, by the time we have selected and, and certified recommended algorithms, quantum-resistant algorithms, it may well be five years or so from now. The second approach, which is, is one to which we're uh, actively contributing, um, is to be able to 
transport these encryption keys using quantum effects. So you were using the laws of physics to transport the encryption keys between a person who, between two parties wishing to achieve secure communications, for example, in an electronic transaction. This is a, a technique called quantum key distribution, and Quintessence Labs is uh, amongst the, the few companies in the world that is developing this technology for commercial deployment. It is still at an advanced uh, prototype stage, and we expect our first commercial variant available sometime next year. The second part of the problem goes to the issue of true random numbers. Interestingly enough, to have high-quality encryption keys, you need to have true random numbers from which you can actually construct these encryption keys. Today, however, we're predominantly doing this through software. And of course, anything that's generated through software, while it might be close to looking uh, like a sequence of random numbers, will inevitably have a pattern in it because it's been produced through a recipe that's embedded in that software. So what you're saying is so, that a random number today isn't really a random number. Yeah, in, in fact, that's exactly right. They, they, in fact, have a term for this, which is uh, pseudo-random numbers. And should you have sufficiently great computational power at some point in the future, you may well be able to, to pick up uh, some of the patterns which underlie the, the random numbers as we are constructing them today. And this, in turn, would weaken uh, any keys that are subsequently constructed out of that, those sequences of random numbers. So the second thing which Quintessence Labs is doing in, in response to the looming quantum computing challenge and its implications for data security is to create a source, again, drawing on quantum effects. So rather than relying on software, we measure something physical. And in our case, we measure an effect called quantum tunneling and uh, use that to produce a truly random sequence of numbers at very high speed. And those numbers are then used as the basis for encryption? Uh, exactly right, Brad. So Quintessence Labs today has the world's fastest true random number generator. We've managed to reduce the, the size, the form factor of this random number generator to something uh, of analogous or approximately the same as a cell phone and can be embedded into a standard server so that quantum technology, in fact, can be used within our IT infrastructure today and, indeed, is being used at banks, uh, in defense agencies, and cloud providers. Now, if only and you could help me select the winning lotto numbers, I'd be really happy. <laughs> Indeed, but while we may not be able to help you with the selection of those numbers, we certainly could, could assure those that are betting on them that if the true random source was used, that there is no undue influence <laughs> in the select in the, in the actual lot of things. So what you're saying then is that while quantum computing poses, I guess, a great risk to traditional encryption methods, the solution to that problem could actually in itself be quantum computing principles? Uh, indeed. So the specific area we're in is, 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 is runs parallel to quantum computing. It's quantum cybersecurity. Um, and it really brings together some unique effects. 
that occur from the quantum world, the two in particular that we talked about, about generating true random numbers, um, and the second is transporting encryption keys very securely between two locations and synthesizes those with advanced conventional cybersecurity. And in our case, what we found is one of the, the big areas that, that enterprises and indeed governments have been looking at is the so-called multi-layered defense. If we uh, look back historically at our cybersecurity spend, the majority of it has been putting big walls around our IT systems in an attempt to keep the adversary or the bad guys out. However, what we're seeing is that these firewalls and intrusion detection systems, while important, in and of themselves are not sufficient because every second or third week, we do read about instances where uh, the adversary has managed to breach those walls and are on the inside of our IT systems. Um, so one of the best things you can do to protect against that uh, eventuality is to implement a robust enterprise-wide encryption strategy so that even if there is some malware or equivalent sitting on, on inside your network, data that they're able to send out or exfiltrate will not be of value because it's encrypted. Um, however, one of the things that, that we find that as enterprises have been looking to implement this enterprise-wide encryption, um, the encryption piece is, is relatively well understood and, and, and can be done with relative ease. It's the management of encryption keys, millions, maybe hundreds of millions of encryption keys, that is a significant challenge. And this is the area that we look to to and have deployed solutions to enable enterprises to deploy and encryption at scale at the enterprise level. Well, Vikram Sharma, it's good to know that you and Quintessence Labs will be there to help protect this innate post-quantum world. Thank you very much for joining us on the program. Thank you very much, Brad. A pleasure to join you. And now for the latest in news, analysis and research on the state of technology in Australia, I'm joined by the Editorial Director at IT News, Stephen Kiernan. Stephen, welcome to the program. Now, I think I've been writing about quantum computing for about 20 years now. So is this happening or not? Well, I guess you could say it is and it isn't, Brad. And I guess in the spirit of quantum, it's various states in between as well. So we don't have a direct answer. We need to observe the system in order to determine whether it's happening or not. Well, if you want a direct answer on quantum computing, I'll do my very best, although it's a pretty complex topic. I guess I should be glad you didn't ask me to actually build a quantum computer, but, but we'll press on. Hey, if you can, you'll make a lot of money, trust me. <laughs> I look forward to it. Now, when we talk about quantum computers, they get s suggested as the you know, panacea for so many of the issues that we see in technology, and maybe quantum computers will solve many of the world's big problems. Though I feel like the way the internet works, no doubt they'll just all be put to use mining Bitcoin. Okay, well, at least you'll be making money out of that effort then, if you can build your quantum computer. But <laughs> where do you sort of see the, the effort and focus happening right now? Well, well, it's funny, though, just on that Bitcoin point, I mean, I, I was joking, but actually it was only recently that uh, researchers have suggested that as quantum computers do get more powerful, they could actually jeopardize cryptographic currencies in the future. And we can see how Bitcoin and cryptos have become penetrate into the mainstream, well, 10 years from now at that rate, they could really be mainstream. And the idea is that if quantum computers are that fast and they are able to crack the crypto, then potentially you could have people 
attackers running fast quantum currencies, stealing funds from digital currencies without even being detected. So there's definitely some problems that we need to deal with there. Is there any upside to that, though? I guess when we talk about quantum computing, you do tend to focus on some of the negatives, you know, particularly the idea in cybersecurity. You know, you and I have spoken about cybersecurity so much on Future Ready. You can only imagine what it will be like in the future if we can barely protect our systems today. What's going to be like in the future when we've got quantum computers that can brute force a password-protected system in a matter of minutes or even seconds? Well, you ask for the positive, and I think the flip side is just as the attackers will get access to faster, faster quantum computers, so too will the defences be able to leverage quantum computers in order to protect against these new and unforeseen threats. So I think that both sides of the tally will go up. So we just need to hope it's the good guys that build the quantum computers first then. <laughs> we hope so. So what are you seeing happening in Australia today in terms of quantum research? Well, I think you've talked about what's been happening at the University of New South Wales. Well, they're not alone here in Australia. And in fact, the University of Melbourne has been set up as one of five network hubs worldwide for IBM Q. You know, IBM is really trying to lead the charge and get a, a big foothold in the nascent quantum computing market. And IBM Q is kind of the umbrella under which they're doing that. They set up these hubs around the world, one of them being at the Uni of Melbourne, to enable industry research and collaboration around their IBM Q systems, but also just generally to work together to research further developments in quantum computing. It's going to give the researchers at the Uni of Melbourne access to advanced quantum systems, which can then help Australian scientists and scientists down in your hometown in Victoria down there, Brad, to develop better knowledge about quantum solutions. And then they can start applying them to industry problems in areas like mining and energy and finance and, and, and a number of different industry sectors that can see some real advantages from uh, harnessing quantum computing. Stephen Keenan, thank you as always. And I would like to remind everyone listening that no cats were harmed in the production of this quantum computing podcast. Stephen Keenan, thank you again. That's all for this edition of Future Ready, brought to you by Westpac and hosted by IT News. 